0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMao, and I am fired up. We're going to sit down today and talk about where the industry is actually going with Dan Fichter of Be Fast. Dan, it's just great to have another guy from The Rock on. Somebody that actually understands what a garbage plate really is. Ooh, yes. Now, before we go anywhere, the important question, uh, Knicks or Empire?
1: Um, I'm an Empire guy. boy. Oh, I'm an Empire guy. Only because I was a Knicks guy growing up, and then it got to a point where you needed to make a
0: change. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. That is all the information you're going to need to know. <laughs> have a good day. Yes, have a good day. Empire <laughs> Hots in Webster is the best garbage plate around. You heard it here first, but no, Dan, thanks for joining us today, man. Uh, let's get a little bit of background though, like because your your background is a little unique. You know, you're up there in Rochester, got a great gym, putting out great content, doing great things with the kids. So let's let everybody know you know who is dan and what is want to get fast
1: want to get fast as a company i started probably about let's see, 30 30 years ago um started in my garage i started training a local hockey player professional guys figured i could help him out a little bit and um it turned into 10 nhl guys later um guys flying around making plays and me going to speak at USA hockey clinics. Like I had any idea, anything about hockey, I can't even skate. And started to, uh, build the business from there. And, um, you know, everybody talks about training professional athletes and all that stuff. And that's all great. In my line of business, that doesn't pay the bills. What pays the bills are the high school kids and the, you know, and the youth coming up, trying to get better. Um, and we've had great success doing that. It's been fun building a business in the Rochester area. I think we're one of the oldest sports performance companies in Rochester um, <clears throat> by, a, by a lot, by a lot. Um, and we've been able to stand the test of time because we don't, um, I don't think we change much of our, our methodologies based off of, you know, current fads or whatever it is. It's just, it's cemented in human movement and, and why we're able to do the things that we can get our kids to do. Cemented in human movement. Cemented in human movement. And that's where we're at is we have to be able to move as athletes. And um, because the reality of the situation is when they go to throw the ball off, And they're going to do a tip-off in basketball. Nobody cares how much you can squat. Nobody cares about how much you can bench press. They care about your basketball performance. Same thing in football. Even though we go to these powerlifting meets and we do these things, nobody cares at the end of the day how much you squat or bench press. How many touchdowns did you score? How fast are you? Are you able to um, manage the collisions that happen in sport? And that's what we try to do.
0: Yeah, so then let's get right into the weeds with it then, man. You know, talking about movement, talking about, quote unquote, what matters. Leads us to the question that we were decided we're going to run down the rabbit hole of, man. And that's, I guess, what does matter and how is that going to impact the future and the direction of our industry?
1: Yeah, um, I think most of what we do in strength and conditioning is, is, I'll call it voluntary movement training, which is awesome, right? It's great. But that's part of an equation that's so small in the human movement list that um, I actually look at the data around it and I'm like, why do we spend so much time training the voluntary side of movement when the reflexive side offers about 90% of that total output by the brain? And that's a scary equation when you run data numbers. So being able to train unilaterally, being able to challenge your brain to utilize the reflex system that's embedded in it is more powerful in training than any modality. Um, Being able to train your ability to anticipate or your anticipatory movement processes is of equal importance as the reflexive. And I think the voluntary part is lagging behind but it's where we spend the most time.
0: And I'm trying to change that a little bit. So for those that may not understand the difference between the three, could you give us an example of a progression from A to B to C? Yeah. So, so voluntary
1: movement is, and and I'll do it based off of your brain and how it generates movement, because if we're not looking at it that way, we're really not, your muscles are just there. I mean, they're, Matt Bolay, a guy I do a lot of teaching with said a quote that muscles are just lazy slabs. They're just hanging there. Your nervous system is controlling everything. Your brain is controlling everything. And more importantly, the joint actions that you go through in sport are like satellite systems, right? So they have to communicate with your brain of the position they're in. So voluntary movement is if I'm moving my right hand, and on, on, on camera or wherever you're sitting, if you're moving your right hand in any direction, reaching out, doing whatever, the left side of your brain is controlling that, okay? It's pretty simple. If you go into any you know, neuroanatomy book, your voluntary movement of your right hand is controlled by your left brain. With that being said, when you go to reach with that right hand in the voluntary part of it, you are reflexively firing down the left-hand side of your, we can call it your spinal cord, your paraspinals, all your stabilizer muscles have to turn on proportionately and reflexively. So you don't fall over when you're reaching for something and you don't feel that you just do it. That, that part of the equation is the reflexive side. That's the side I'm talking about. That's 90% of the total output. 10% goes to voluntary movement on the left-hand side of that brain. So if I'm training in the weight room and I'm moving weight and I'm doing all these things from a voluntary standpoint, I'm really not challenging that reflexive side, of which owns the higher percentage of the equation. So what I tell people is, those movements are great, but let's begin to challenge the reflexive side. And then from an anticipatory, anticipatory standpoint, you have to be able to do that on command, off of a reaction, off of a stimulus, off of a, a change of an environment. So all those qualities need to be added into your training regimen with a highlight of the reflexive part and the anticipatory part make
0: sense 100%. So then the next question I'm sure many people are listening to is well, well then where does the strength and the conditioning fit into that? <clears throat> so when you're dealing
1: on the reflexive side simple Newtonian physics don't make a hell of a lot of sense. And 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 here's what I mean. If I dropped off a box and landed in a squat position. So I did an altitude drop And I landed and we looked at the force plates. I'm probably hitting the ground at four to five times my body weight. When I'm running, the same shit happens. The only part is, you know, when I tell people, okay, let's say you've generated five times your body weight when you landed off a 24-inch box and you're a 200-pound athlete. So you're talking about, let's just roughly call it 1,000 newtons hitting the ground. But when you run, you're landing on one leg. So there's nobody that's out there that I haven't seen on the end. Well, maybe on YouTube, there's a few guys that can squat a thousand pounds on one leg. But they can't do it in a hundredth of a second because those things don't exist. But that's what's happening on the reflexive side of your body. So we really have to understand those numbers don't, you can't feed those into a system and go, yeah, that's, let's go squat. Cause you can't squat enough.
0: Well, then again, going back to that question, because so many people look at what we do and they say, well, but the research says, you know, what's, what's the, the, the one that everybody loves to talk about, like a double body weight squat or whatever <laughs> it may be. Um,
1: I got that lecture from my ex-wife the other day. Should, should kids be lifting weights? Please, please don't bother me. Please don't bother me. <laughs> it, it doesn't it close their growth plates. Sure. Yeah. It closes their growth plate. What what research are you reading? Um. It, <laughs> Here's the, here's the deal. When my son goes out in the backyard and he's running around playing with his friends, he's running and jumping, creating three times his body weight. And again, he certainly can't squat three times his body weight. So we have to be able to manage these collisions and your training needs to be appropriate to manage the collisions that your body's going to have with the ground, whether it be on two legs or one leg, or whether it be an upper body collision or a lower body collision. So I've kind of changed my mantra. A little bit about training is it's we have to be able to identify threats reduce the threat to my brain for movement and then I got to be able to manage collisions
0: yeah I mean it's similar just to the tactics of a game right you're trying to create fill space and avoid being tackled hit or giving away possession correct I mean for a
1: low post player for a guy changing direction as a point guard the amount of, like, I would love to see a force plate of Allen Iverson doing our crossover and seeing what he generates when he crosses somebody over. Or his, his twitch, meaning how fast are those contractions happening to stabilize? And again, I bet you Allen Iverson wasn't a weight room monster.
0: No, I mean, he didn't want to talk about practice we're talking about training yeah (laughs) so then okay so dan we we've we've got some mutual friends that we were talking about early on and and one thing that he would he and i talk about quite a bit is the the role of technique and all that as well so if we're looking at things that are voluntary movements that would be more of the technical aspect but you're talking about the reflex of the anticipatory parts how then How do I say this? How much weight then do you give the technical aspect of moving? Well, I try
1: to coach position, right? So whatever we're doing in the weight room, I'm going to coach that position to the best of my knowledge. Okay. And if they're in the right position, and for me, most of my stuff is based off of isometrics and extreme isometrics, we get into lengthened positions and we try to hold those positions then within those positions and once we're stable in those positions, then we begin to try to generate force or absorb force, right? So, or I'm trying to perturb you to where you have to reorganize to get stable again. Um, so I, I would say position is paramount when you're doing anything that's going to require you to absorb
0: energy. Position is paramount when you're doing anything that's going to require you to absorb energy?
1: So for me, if a kid was, let's say he was doing a squat and he's in awful position while he's doing it, first of all, he's going to get hurt. And then somebody's mom's going to call and say, the squat is bad for you. And then mom's going to say, because I know because his dad hurt himself and he was lifting weights too. And he was doing a back squat. So that's why we do front squats and then we did, no, your position was wrong. Simple. It's simple.
0: So then, you know, in today's day and age, right. In a metrically driven society where more and more, the number nerds are starting to kind of bring, you know, more and more attention to things in sports science and data analytics is becoming more and more in vogue, if you may. Yep. These things look like they're very difficult to measure. How, and it, it Well, first of all, is it measurable? And if so, how do you measure it? Well, from a, from
1: a neurological standpoint, there's lots to measure. There's lots to go off of. Um, in terms of everything equates back to the gait pattern. Right, so everything that we do is going to be: Did it make you move better? Because if it doesn't, I'm not quite sure I want to do it unless I'm rehabbing something. If I did a 500-pound squat and it crushed my nervous system in terms of how I move, why would I want to do that? If you tell me, well, we got to go backwards to go forward, I'd say okay, but we have to make sure that there's always a way to progress into movement, progress into our, our wired cross crawl concept. Have to, because we do not play in a bilateral world. Um, I, I always give this example. Sometimes it gets me into trouble. I, I had the opportunity to have Louis Simmons come out to my gym. I don't know if you've ever heard this story before or heard me tell it, but um, he called me on the phone and um, he said, not, not that I make people stronger, fast. He said, I, I hear you can make people feel a little bit better. I'm like, oh, okay. Who is this? This is Louis Simmons. I'm like, I, whatever. He, I hung up on him. He he calls me back and says, why'd you hang up on me? I'm like, because I think you're one of my buddies busting my chops. Why would Louis Simmons call me? I'm a 180 pound speed coach. I mean, he's like, I, want, I, "I I think you have some good ideas for recovery. I want to come out and see it. It's okay. Well, he drives out, and we go through this whole process with him and and his whole injury history, and everything that Louis Simmons did in his life was bilateral. So he goes. So I we do some things to fix what I thought was wrong with him, and he said, "Well, how can I pay you back?" I said, "Well, I don't know. We got some athletes in the gym. What, What do you want to show them?" He goes, "Well, I want to show you." how we train kids to jump and how we get really strong hamstrings. That's awesome. Sounds great. Got a legend doing that. Goes into the gym and the guy working in my gym, Nick Marino comes walking over and he meets Louis Simmons. Everybody's all in awe. And he goes, all right, so I'm going to show you guys how we do it. We jump up on boxes. And I'm like, uh Oh, he's like, what? Can this kid ever play anything? I'm like, yeah, he played football. He's pretty good. He's like, well, what's his vertical jump? I go uh, probably about forty-four inches. He's like, what? He goes, let me see you jump on a box. I go, Louie, he's never jumped on a box before. He's like, he, you're telling me he jumps forty-four inches? He's never jumped up on a box. I said, no, nope. we jump down, we land. He's never really jumped up. That's bullshit. So Nikki goes over and he. Puts the Vertec machine up. Now he's training athletes in the gym. He puts it set up, jumps up, jumps 42 inches. Louis goes, Holy shit. I go, Well, that's what we do. We, we do altitude drops. I said, Unfortunately, he has to jump off this plyometric boxes we had stacked up. Kids, it's ridiculous. Anyways, so he goes, All right, forget this. Let's go out in the parking lot and show you how to pull a sled. So he goes out in the parking lot. He starts showing my kids how to pull a sled, which is awesome. I get him on video. I'm like, this is legendary. He's pulling the sled and he's going, he's walking, same arm, same leg. I've never seen that before. I'm like, Louie, you're a mess. I said, what are you talking about? This is how you do it. I'm like, no, that's not how you do it. So I showed him on the video. He's like, what do you mean? I go, just walk normally. He goes and walks. He's swinging in opposition. He goes to load it. He goes into a unilateral pattern. I'm like, all right, come on back in the room. So we go back in the doctor's office, and, and he's like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I said, no, there's a lot wrong with that. You spend your entire life squatting, bench pressing. You, Your brain is shutting down. From a, from a hemisphere of communication, you have zero. So I made a march in place for about five minutes. I thought it was crazy. And I said, that's your, that's your take-home work you have to reestablish your cross crawl pattern. So he goes back to West side two weeks later. He calls me, he goes, not for nothing. I put 20 pounds on my bench press. I'm like, like I give a shit. I'm like, great. What have you been doing? Well, I've been doing that stupid cross crawl thing. you said against the wall. I'm like, great. What have you done anything different in your training? No, I, I lift three days a week. I blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. So we changed how we operated in a bilateral movement based off of giving him his cross-crawl pattern back. So that's neurology. And that's how we're wired. And if we screw with that, we're damaging the way we move.
0: Yeah, and slowing people down and shortening yeah, careers.
1: 100%. percent. Now, do some people need to get stronger? 100%. Yes. But you just have to do it the right way. It, it's They're like drugs, man. If you just start doing shit to people, you got to know what the repercussions are. You have to know the unintended consequences of lifting weights.
0: Yeah. And it, for the people now that would say, but that's an extreme circumstance, you're talking about Louis Simmons, who had multiple surgeries, lifelong power lifter. Yep. It obviously has to be different for a 22 year old grad transfer or an eighteen year old freshman coming into college or a longtime pro basketball, football, baseball player because they're playing their sport and doing these things. Your response would be? My response
1: would be is everybody has to be able to have a functional movement pattern where it's as close to what we are designed to move as possible. Is it going to be perfect? Hell no. Is it going to be perfectly symmetrical? Hell no. However, if we are working towards that, we're going to become better movers. So when you come in the gym and you look at your, we call it a movement profile. Sometimes kids are really elastic in their movement. Like a lot of the basketball players are very elastic already because it's what they do. They're going to spend a little bit more time getting stronger in positions. Like we just talked about, if you come in and you're a football guy and you're freaking squatting the house and this and that me giving you more squatting exercises and getting you really strong, isn't going to help the part of the equation that you need, which is the other end of it. So training something training someone based off of where they fall on that, on that movement um, continuum is really
0: important. Other than watching the gait pattern, is there any evaluations that you?
1: Yeah, watch them play. You can tell. Watch them run. You can see, like, here's the the best one. Track coaches. So kids are <laughs> kids are running. The younger kids will be running on their heels when they're sprinting, and all the track coaches they got the stopwatch around their neck and they're they're yelling. Get your knees up, run on the balls of your feet. No shit. Do you think they're trying to piss you off doing that? They can't because they can't absorb the energy when they fall out of the sky. So their foot hits the ground, they collapse, their heel hits, they get stuck on the ground, then they have to use their muscular system. They haven't learned how to use their tendon system to bounce. So being able to teach them how to do that is going to make them move better.
0: And then it's just identifying what simple ways and different situations you can put them in in order for them to learn somewhat on their own, but being coached to learn.
1: Correct. Correct. That's
0: why being a phys ed teacher is important.
1: I watch kids move every day. It's an epidemic that kids can't move anymore. It's it's unbelievable. Unbelievable.
0: So, let's go full circle, Dan. Mm-hmm. What is the direction that this industry is going?
1: Where is it going? Um, I think it's more... Right now we're starting to, move, like about 10 years ago when I started talking about this neuro stuff, people looked at me like I was insane. Like they're like, what are you talking about? Because it's not anything that we know. Now the research has come out that we are more reflexive in nature. We are more gate driven. Being able to evaluate somebody's movement is not just a biomechanical issue. It's a neurological issue. And that starts from birth and how you crawled and how you walked and all these things that matters. So I think that the way the industry is going is yes, if you just coach bench, squat, deadlift, and you're just working on a periodized plan and that's about all you do, you're going to be a mid range person. You're not going to be someone who is a star in the industry. I think people who really take everything into account in terms of proprioceptive, ectroceptive, introceptive, vestibular, visual, all these things from the top down matter in training an athlete. They all do. So you are going to be underprepared. If you are not neurologically prepared to train them,
0: in a sense, it sounds like a daunting task. In another sense, it sounds like a fun project to continue to run down rabbit holes on. So I guess the question is, Dan, where did you start with this, and what got you to start chasing the rabbit down that rabbit hole? Um, you know, so so we have in the gym we have um,
1: we have a Cairo who is Carrick trained. So he's a functional neurologist. And um, I, I never really believed in chiropractic care as a, as a gym owner. Um, I don't know, I just never thought that, you know, manipulating somebody was gonna impact, because again, the brain's just gonna pull you back into the compensation that you were in and, and the current threat matrix that you have. So he comes in and we start to talk. He's a wonderful guy and we got along really well, but I'm like, listen, I, it's not my thing. So I, I don't know how, how you could formulate a business out of here when I don't believe in what you do. He's like, well, what is it that you believe in? So we talked a little bit about my background, what I learned, and where I think we should be going. And he's like, well, who did you learn from? I said, well, this guy out in Minnesota. And he goes, give me his number. Let me call him. Okay. Calls him. Two days later, flies out there, comes back. Now, this is a guy who was had a fantastic chiropractic business. He's doing fine. Comes in, he goes, I have to change my entire, my my entire thought process has changed. And he looked at me. Most people would say, let, let, kind of like what you're saying, that's daunting. That's too much. I can't make a change right now. He completely immersed himself into the Carrick stuff, into the functional neurology stuff, and how that it links up biomechanically to what he was doing as an active release therapist, um, as a chiropractor. And he kind of merged them. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, come on in, because what you're doing is going to match what I'm doing. So from a from a strength and coordinated standpoint in the gym, now we're getting your brain to be able to light up in certain areas to help with Because, like I said, movement is the window into your brain, right? So how your brain is functioning is based off of how you walk. It's very simple to tell. If you have some type of frontal cortex issue, you you can see it in somebody when they walk. They have no arm swing. Or one side is limited. And people would be going, pump your arms. Well, that's not going to change anything. You can do that voluntarily for a moment. But when the reflexive part kicks in, you're not swinging because your frontal cortex isn't firing correctly. So is it wrong to say that a strength coach could say, hey, if I do something to activate my right frontal lobe and it gets my left arm swinging better, does that fall into the scope of a strength and conditioning coach? In my world, it does because we're movement coaches. So that's the challenge is you have to understand the power of what's behind our brain and what makes us move and you have to embrace it because it's it's going that way it really is
0: yeah i mean maybe we just happen to bump into the same people maybe it's just because it's a few of them that grew up in the 585 but it seems to be that more people that i talk to the more i hear about these different pathways in understanding the significance of different small things that you wouldn't understand if you didn't take a step back, how impactful they are in what you're doing, both in a positive and a negative sense. Absolutely.
1: And, and, and it goes to this quote, there are unintended consequences of lifting weights. And that's great. Once you find them, and you figure out what they're doing wrong to your athletes, then you just change a little bit of what you do. You tweak it. You don't need to rewire the entire training program. It it doesn't replace it. It adds on to it. Neurology just adds on to what you're doing. You know, are we addressing a vestibular system? I mean, how often are we moving and turning our head when we play? All the time. What happens if there is a mild uh, subclinical vestibular issue? that's going to totally create a different movement pattern. You could be like, in, in most of my consulting, I'll put up a slide and it's a picture of the sun. It's kind of dark out. Clouds are over it. It's right over the water. And I look at people and I say, is that a sunrise or a sunset? And we'll get a couple of people who raise their hand, pretty brave people. And they'll be like, that's a sunset. I'm like, well, how do you know? And they tell me the story. I'm like, oh, that was a good guess. It's the sunrise. But we get so immersed in what we believe that we're seeing that we just we just continue to keep moving through it. And and we don't even know if it's right or not. But we certainly paint the picture that it is right. So you gotta you gotta get a little bit bigger view of how the body generates movement how it avoids threats and then what those compensatory patterns look like in the movement points
0: again taking a step back for some that may sound like a daunting task but really (laughs) it is just simply what sport is like do what the game demands. Yep, and prepare them to do that.
1: Yeah, I. And again, I. The way you fundamentally break it down is you just take a look. If you're a big video person, biomechanical video person, like you watch guys on film and you say, okay, this person has a internal rotation problem, blah blah blah, whatever it is that you do. I would say this: Can they manage the collisions? in the current positions they're in when they're doing what they're doing. If they can't, you need to train them to do that. That That's why I love, I call it altitude drop training or collision training. Right? Here's what I mean by that. So let's say I'm sitting on the end of a bench and I have a 25-pound plate in my hand and I hold it out in front of me so it's at eye level. My arms are pretty much locked out. I'm holding the plate on either end, on the sides of it. I drop that plate. I catch it at about where the bench is. So let's say it's fallen about six to eight inches. That 25 pound plate, when I stop it at the bottom, it's way heavier than that. But when I go to reaccelerate it back up to right in front of my eyes, it's still that 25 pounds. So I have an opportunity to train high load, high velocity. I think that's the key to training. And then you want to be able to have high volume, do it over and over again. So when I catch that weight at the bottom, that 25 pounds turns into when we can do the math, it falls at 9.8 meters per second squared. It falls eight inches. I have a whole calculation that I run it through. When you catch that falling load, every muscle in your upper torso turns on proportionately. Which is the key to sport. And then as you re-accelerate that weight, everything is stabilizing proportionately. It's one of the only ways you can do that. It's what I love about collision training. Everything turns on proportionately.
0: So you would prefer them to drop off a box and not propel the other way.
1: 90% of the time. Correct. When I was younger, I would have said hundred percent of the time I'd say 90% of the time we are dropping, stabilizing and getting ready to propel ourselves. And most people, when they drop, They'll do it for a period of time. And then all of a sudden, when they drop, you'll see a little recoil in their hips or their ankles or their knees when they land. That means they're ready to start releasing that energy because now they're in the right position to be able to accelerate it. And they've been able to manage those collisions because ultimately that could be a threat to your brain. If your brain doesn't believe that you can jump 40 inches in the air it's never going to let you do it. So we practice landing because once it feels stable from that position, it's going to give you the energy to jump.
0: I can dig it. And now (laughs) what I think is really cool that you do do Dan is you provide a lot of great content and a lot of great visuals of these things that you're speaking about on the socials. So this has been a sensational 35 minutes. Let's get out of here with this, man. Where can people find more? Where can people see what you're doing? And where can people, if they do have questions, reach out to you? In in the past, I've been really like, I, I'm not a big
1: social media guy. We just started to do this to only because the guy was running my gyms. Like, you have to tell people what we're doing. I'm like, why, why do I want to tell people? Cause then everybody's going to do it. Uh, so uh, want to get is our, is our website. I have a Patreon page that people come to. I put out some videos and I talk a little bit about some of the things that we do and why we do it. And again, it's pretty different than what a lot of people are doing. But if you really think about it, it's based in movement and it's based off the fundamental concepts of, we have to be able to stop before we go.
0: I love it, man, and yeah. I mean, it's it's. I guess that's something that. What was it? It was like. Two thousand eight, probably, where that whole idea of deceleration and braking started to become something that people talked about when the Parisi mm. Speed School started doing things with it. Yeah. And it's uh, it's funny how. Things that work work.
1: Yeah, it, well, it's funny now is that everybody's put it into a specialty program, like, oh, let's do this ACL rehab. Well, how, how is it not part of your training anyways? I, I mean, duh. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, wait till people figure out that your vestibular system has a huge impact into how that posterior chain turns on and off to allow that patella to slide to cause ACL injuries. Look at the position of people's heads when they tear their ACL. Those non-contacts. Maybe the vestibular system plays a role. Hmm.
0: It's an interesting hypothesis.
1: There's some research on it. Yeah. It's just not me being crazy.
0: No, I... I
1: mean, I I am crazy, but...
0: I mean, but it's something that you could see, right? If your eyes drive everything and your head drives everything, then why wouldn't the position of your head lead in the, in the direction of your eyes lead to issues down the chain? Correct. Correct. I mean, they just figured out a little
1: while ago that the way your eyes move are the way your feet interact with the ground and the tactile sensation from your feet control the way your eyes move. How about that link? How
0: many feet apart are those? yeah yeah no doubt well listen dan i appreciate your time today this was some fantastic stuff man and uh stoked to finally get this down it's great to Absolutely. have another rochesterian on the show man thanks for having me brother much appreciated and uh look forward to more interactions yeah brother truly appreciate your time man thank you so much you bet Take and care. as always and as always thank you for everything y'all do for us here at central virginia sport performance We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.